Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show this week. I am, as always, it's my favorite time of the week to be here with you because I get to bring you amazing guests who help shift my perspective and hopefully your perspective. I love my guests because they come from all walks of life, from all over the world, from all over, because they have experiences in life that really help you make a shift if you are willing to listen and have an open mind during the conversations. And I want to share one other thing that's been going on because I'm really, really excited about this before I have this awesome man on the other end of this camera feed that you're looking at um, on the show. I recently, I don't know if you know this, everybody, but I write for podcast magazine, the technology category. And for the October issue, I got the cover. So Kim Commando is the article that I wrote for Podcast Magazine, and it ended up being the cover story. So you can get a free copy of the digital issue um, just by subscribing podcastmagazine.com slash free, and you can subscribe for your own free digital copy if you want to get uh, a physical copy, which is pretty awesome as well. Um, you can do that too, but it, for a limited time, we've got free digital copies of the magazine coming out. So yay to me, I'm excited. And Kim Commando, if you don't know her, awesome. And, and Ira, um, you know, we're going to be talking about telling a story today and how to tell the story for your business. And if you don't know Kim Commando, she is a master storyteller. Definitely. So that's my little plug because I'm so excited. I got the cover story. <laughs> got to have a little fun here, right, Ira? Absolutely. So everybody, my guest today is the one and only Ira Gostin. And he was introduced to me by a previous guest I had on the show, Ethan Freckleton, who is a master storyteller. And his show is all about storytelling. And he says, you need to meet Ira. I think you will love him as will your audience. So Ira and I had a couple of conversations and we could have talked for days, couldn't we have Ira? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so he's like, okay. I think no we talking. did. We did actually. No more talking. We're going to talk on air. And this was supposed to be a Facebook live in addition to the podcast recording and technology just decided that it wasn't going to work. I don't know if it was Zoom. I don't know if it was Facebook Live, whatever it is, but we're still going to do this and post the video up for everybody. And we're live now. We are live. And, and, and that's the beauty, right? You know, moving our hands around, we are totally live. Um, I One of the things that I loved about our conversations was this, your journey right? Your story. And you made me realize that my show is all about storytelling. That one of, and I never realized it before. <laughs> I've only been on the air, what, five, six years now, you know, broadcast for five years. I had an internet radio show for one year before that. I never realized that one of the things I do is unlock the stories for everybody, of, of on who's on my show. And that blew my mind because I, I, I never thought of it that way. So can you talk to that? Why, why it is about story and why story is so important? That, you know, and, and when you said that, when we, we were having a conversation, um, it just made me smile because um, it, your story is your your personal journey, and, and most people don't look at their life as a story. But when you think about it, and a story has these ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys, and it, it meanders and it moves, that's how our life is. Um, maybe a year like this year, there's more peaks and more valleys and, um, and a little more meandering and less pants and... But it's still part, you know, it's another chapter. And um, so I think, you know, your show, you have this broad diversity of, of guests come on and you start this conversation with them and 
they start telling you their story and then you're telling them your story. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a cool thing. And, and what my story has done is come into now telling the story for business. And it's a little bit different than people think of, but from my early roots as a photojournalist, um, I'm still telling stories. I'm just using different tools. You wrote an article in Forbes that I'm going to quote from and, and see everybody improving that I printed this out right off of the thing. And the, the article was seven steps to effectively tell the story of your business. And you're on the Forbes Communication Council on around leadership and everything. But this, this was interesting to me because I had never looked at it like this before. You said, um, now it's the time to turn all these adjectives and descriptors into a story because you, you, you lay out a process by which people can figure out their story. But you say, this isn't an elevator pitch or a sound bite. It is the story of your business. It should be no longer than a couple of brief paragraphs. And I had never thought really the difference between the story of your business and an elevator pitch or a soundbite, because I feel like the, the world has gotten to the point where everybody wants sound bites. Everybody wants the 30 second elevator pitch because you're at a networking event or you're on a zoom thing and you only have a couple of minutes, but you're saying the story is different than that. Can you expand on that? And why that's so important? Because I feel like that is massive, huge. People think of their story as their elevator pitch. That's the first comment that, oh, you mean my elevator pitch? And I'm like, no, that's not what I mean. And then they go, uh, and what an elevator pitch. Um, I have a friend of mine, um, her name's Alice Hyman and she's a sales guru and, um, she hates the word pitch because to her, uh, a pitch is something, this white spherical object coming at your head. And, um, and, but it's, um, and I, I've heard it as a matchbook pitch. Like you should be able to write your elevator pitch on the back of a matchbook, um, except that anybody under 35 doesn't actually know what a matchbook is. Right. So um, um, an elevator pitch should be designed to have one and only one response. That's interesting. Tell me more. Okay. Now you tell the story. It's just, it's just a hook with a worm. And um, it's just, it's, you know, the, the elevator door opens and the guy puts his hand in the door and says, I'm really interested in this. I'd like to learn more about it. And you trade cards or, huh, cool, out, doors close, end of conversation. Um, your story is all of those marketing buzz things, your competitive advantage, um, your uniqueness, your unique selling proposition, all of those things that became buzzwords in the 90s of how to market your company are pieces of your story. And when you sit down and, and you know, I struggle with this with, with clients sometimes because I really want them to be authentic. And then they're like, well, if I'm being authentic, how can I craft this? But it's okay. It's just, it shouldn't be overly slick and produced and, you know, you shouldn't be carrying little lights around so that <laughs> lights go on in the room when you tell your story, but, um, and music starts. Yeah. Playing. Yeah. You know, dun, 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 trumpets and, <laughs> um, but it should be believable and it should be authentic and it, it should be interesting and you should grab the, the listener's attention and you should be confident and all of those things come into play um, to tell that story. And, uh, you know, my clients are mostly in the industrial space. So, um, 
you know, you commented on my on my website about that it wasn't it was a little dry and and it wasn't this fascinating story that you expected. Right. And I'm targeting people that I want them. I want it to be a little more left brain than right brain. And and um, that's my client base. But when I tell my personal story, um, it, it is it's fun and it's exciting and I'm. I'm having this amazing joyride um, through life, and I'm I'm having a blast. And when um, I was 15 years old and decided I was going to be a photojournalist, and was riding my bicycle to assignments for my weekly newspaper in the town that right. I grew up, um, with my police scanner duct taped onto my handlebars. <laughs> Um, I have a total you know, picture. That, that was, that was, I, I just assumed that that was going to be the rest of my life, but the industry changed and, and journalism changed. And, um, I fell in love with Reno, Nevada and, um, decided that I wanted to stay here and this was my home and, and, uh, then became just an equally enamored with the the idea of, of public relations and stakeholder engagement and and creating storytelling for business. And I, I love it. I have a blast at work every day. Now, you had this love of photojournalism and you shared stories with me when we were chatting about Gene Hackman and and race cars and, and Steve McQueen and, and all this amazing stuff. And I, I do love the Gene Hackman story. So we're going to have to weave that in here somewhere because it just blows my mind. But you moved into this arena. I mean, you were with the Associated Press for a lot of years, which... I think for a lot of people under 35, they may not even know who the Associated Press is because that's how much it's changed. But they were the preeminent source of news. You know, you had the stringers, you had the journalists, you had the photojournalists, right? But you moved into this realm that based on our conversations, I never would have pictured you going into, right? So you went into the mining industry, precious metals, mining, all of that kind of stuff. And you took yourself out of, I look at it, out of this world that you wanted to go into and went into a very left brain world, right? Assuming left brain, I always get those two confused. Yes. Of, of, you know, like facts of figures of things that most of the, not most, but a good portion of the world is against because of the environmental impact, but yet they want all of what the mining industry does and creates and gives to us. I mean, how did you make that shift? I mean, there's a story there that I think can help people, my listeners understand how a story can evolve while making a difference. Yeah. So, you know, there was a couple steps in between and, and one of those was, I, I think anytime you make a massive life change, um, you need some kind of catalyst to help you push through that. And so my catalyst was going to grad school and getting my MBA. And um, at the time, I was going to be a marketing director. And my goal was to become a chief marketing officer somewhere, um, even though there's only two people in Nevada, I think, that have that title. Um, but I hadn't done that much research. So um, so I get through grad school and, and there's a, a piece of this that's really important, which is um, there's a most MBA programs are pretty similar and there's a trio of finance classes. Um, mm -hmm. There's accounting, finance and statistics. And in that core, you learn about um, net present value and the future value of cash flow. And, um, and if I'm speaking complete gobbledygook to you, um, it's your home mortgage, you know, you, right. um, how that money works for you in the future. And I just, I prayed every day that I could get through this. I'm <laughs> going through grad school in my mid to late forties and I'm older than half my professors. And, um, but I'm, I'm having a great time. And I, I worked at Starbucks. Um, um, I completely retired from uh, corporate photography that I had evolved into and um, working at Starbucks and I'm going to grad school. 
I had um, a couple uh, marketing manager, then marketing director positions kind of moving along the chain over a couple of years. And I met a great storyteller and um, met him socially. And um, he was a retired CEO of a Canadian mining company. And we had a couple conversations and he wanted to know if I wanted to come help him build a company from the ground up and IPO and become a publicly traded company. And we were going to build a, uh, one of the largest silver mines in the world in Guatemala. So I said yes immediately because what an amazing challenge. And that's where it started with a story about this vision. And um, um, so we built this company from scratch. I had been working with entrepreneurs and um, was was pretty comfortable building a company from from nothing. And um, we did it in 60 days. Um, we had temporary building and um, offices and temps and and rented furniture and everything contingent on this IPO, which um, you would think that going getting an MBA, you'd know something about an IPO, and it was maybe a seven second sentence in class. So know nothing about it, and we go off on um, marketing. And it's constantly telling the story that we have this vision for this company and talking to investors and having a world-class asset um, to build this around was, was pretty cool. Um, the funny part of all this, it was kind of painful. I'm not sure if it's, you'll think it's funny. It was painful for me is I, Barely got it's through this. It's always funny after for the everybody fact. else, right? <laughs> um, so I barely get through the statistics. This, you know, understanding. I mean, I hadn't taken a math class for twenty five years prior to grad school. Uh, journalism school wasn't big on math classes or anything that ended in ology. So um, uh, I kind of get through with the skin of my teeth uh, through the finance part. And suddenly I work for a mining company and, you know, we don't move a desk chair without figuring out the IRR and the net present value of the move. And so um, I actually went to the Colorado School of Mines and took the same graduate level class over in three and a half days. So oh. they pound a semester class. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still a right brain visual guy. So working in Excel for three and a half days with homework every night was was brutal. And um, uh, and then fast forward, I actually have taken that class again um, in the advanced level for uh, several years down the road, more of a general not in the in the uh, resource space. Um but um, we, we wind up marketing the company and we do uh, an IPO on the Canadian market and we raise the money needed and we go to work building a mine in Guatemala. And um, so the, the storytelling and the, and the path becomes this, I'm talking to different groups of stakeholders. I've got... Um, very, very left brain um, analysts and um, fund managers that um, now have a stake in the company. Uh, and then we've got um, environmental concerns. We've got um, the whole ESG, which is environment, social and governance. Um, and then kind of below that is corporate social responsibility, which most people are familiar with. So I'm communicating and telling stories of a lot of different things. And, um, you know, every day was just fascinating of, of getting to talk about this. And I fell in love with Guatemala. It's, it's an amazing country and the people there are um, really just awesome and great workers. And um, I haven't been down there in several years now and I, I miss a lot of my friends, but 
um, it was a pretty amazing ride for seven years. So, When I think of Guatemala, I think of a number of movies, you know, that have been set in there and everything. But when I think about the culture and when I think about your story that you just told us about how you went from this creative right brain journalist to basically getting knee deep into creating a company and growing a company and then keeping it running for a long time. I think of stories, deep stories, right? The Guatemalan culture um, is very much about passing stories from generation to generation, unless I'm completely misunderstanding it, right? That is such a huge part. Even the textiles, everything that they use, it's, it's something that's been passed down, passed on, because the stories tell so much about them as a, a people throughout throughout history. And my listeners, I know, struggle with this whole idea of telling their story because one, they may feel that what happened in their past that led up to this moment of this business that they've created or this business that they're creating, they feel doesn't serve the story or they're embarrassed or ashamed by something in the past that brought them to where they are. What do you say to people when they're trying to build a business or they have one and trying to grow it about how do you know what to weave in, what to bring in? Because you mentioned authenticity a lot in what you were talking about. And I think that's critical, but some people are afraid of being too authentic, too real. Yeah, you have to be human, um, and um, it's um, you know I I think in the late '80s the the B to B the B to C the those you know uh, consumer or business to business things, and I, I started seeing H numeral two H um, human to human, and I love that because especially this year. It's about human connections. And um, so, you know, I mean, as an example, just to kind of go back to Guatemala for a second, um, the, the the mining brains, you know, certainly I, I say we, but I wasn't part of that decision because I'm not a mining person, although I, I guess I get to claim, claim it now. Um, I think so. But, By this point yeah, in time, yeah. you need to change your story around yeah. that. The, but the, the people, you know, our, our brilliant uh, chief operating officer who was building the mine and our, our people that were building this decided that instead of bringing contract miners in from another country, so that would mean building a camp and bringing out-of-towners in uh, from Mexico or from Peru, and they work and they rotate in and out, um, and they do the mining and the construction we trained Guatemalans and we created opportunities and jobs for nearly a thousand people. And some people moved from other parts of Guatemala, but for the most part, we took a, a quiet farming community and taught some skills and uh, an industry. So, you know, there's a key story within the big story right there. And um, so I think as a business person, when you're crafting your story, and I'm a huge fan of the whiteboard and colored sticky notes and Sharpies, and um, because you want ideas, you want single ideas and, and, um, you know, what, to start brainstorming and 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 really get other people in the business and the the term stakeholder um, we tend to only talk to oh the executives get together um, well bring the receptionist in because that woman or man has an idea about the company and they're the first people that most people visit with so. If they're not telling the right story, we need to get them on the same page, but they probably have all this opinion that nobody's even asked for, or, you know, we don't have elevator attendants anymore, but um, if there's a, you know, a doorman, 
like go and dig and find the people that are that have a stake in the success of your business. If you're a family-owned business, um, talk to your other family members. Who knows what ideas are lurking beneath the surface that nobody's thought to ask for? Um, and then start putting all these sticky notes up and they're easy to move around and you get to put them in order. And then all of a sudden you'll start to see this story take shape. And it's a magical process when you get to do it because it really, um, then you start to have this third effect. One plus one equals three because we've got this story here and like, Oh, you know what? Did you guys remember that, you know, that, you know, grandpa's next door neighbor was the guy that had the patent and grandpa made him a partner in the business. And he didn't want to be a partner. He said, look, just take the technology and go with it and buy me lunch one day. And there's all these fun stories that now give personality to what you're trying to build. Are there some key questions that people can start asking in order to draw out the stories because you know I, I hear what you're saying and I know for myself I've struggled with how do I tell the story of what it is that I do right besides the the show I didn't like I said I didn't even realize till after I talked to you that my story my show is about telling stories to help people tell their stories right but I know I struggle to tell the story so what are some are there some things that you can start with to trigger the, the avalanche, hopefully, that will come of information from the different levels of people? Why, yes, there are. <laughs> so so two things before that. I forget. Um, I, when you post this live to you and me video and tape delayed to the rest of the world, um, I will post a document um, on the Facebook um, uh, that everybody can grab. And it's a little PDF worksheet of just to get you started telling your story. So it's a little fill in the blank thing and really basic, but it'll get your thinking. Um, so there's five keys that um, I feel are really important to telling your story and um, engaging with your stakeholders. The first one is, you, you need to identify your audience um, or your market. Um, who are you talking to? And, um, you know, okay, you so, think about, so let, me, let me just stop yep, you right there, right? Yep. Because a lot of people say you need to know who your audience is, right? But half the time, nobody knows who their audience is. They think they know who their you, audience is. You have is. to do some research. Okay. Um, and, and it might change, you know, you might be doing a podcast and you think you're talking to one group and then you do a little bit of research and start looking at the demographics or do a survey. And all of a sudden you find out I'm talking to this completely different group. I've seen it change before. And so it's important. None of this is, is set in concrete. Um, it all should be kind of fluid and, uh, and, and, you know, available to change. So okay. um, determine who you think you're talking to or you want to talk to. And, um, uh, you know, for instance, in the, in the publicly traded company world, you've got two different groups of shareholders. You've got the very technical analysts, professional traders, fund managers, hedge fund managers, and then you've got retail shareholders, people like you and I that have a, a Count at Schwab and and we buy and sell stocks. Very similar, but two completely different stories that need to be told. Well, so is there a third and a fourth to there then? I'm thinking that there may be another stakeholder, the people that work in the company yeah, and so, the people in the community. Yep, absolutely. So now all of a sudden you look at, um, you've got, um, you know, going back to Tahoe Resources is, you know, you've got Guatemalans, um, you've got um, a Reno office, you've got a Vancouver office, um, you've got employees and all those. So each of those groups is a stakeholder group. You've got vendors, um, you've got all this big giant mining equipment that comes with somewhere and an engineering company. So you've got to communicate to all of your stakeholder group 
because um, it's 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 who surrounds you. Um, and so you really have to do some work on identifying that audience and, and it should be audiences, but. Um, okay. Is it possible I, to not have that be the first question? Like if, if, if it paralyzes you, if it freezes you up because you're not really sure who it is, can you start somewhere else to start gathering your story? No. Okay. I you, always you wanted to ask to, somebody that. You. <laughs> you have to start somewhere and it should, the first one should be a little hard. Um, okay. And um, um, it, it'll take a little bit of time, but you know, you can to the point where like when we're, when we're building, if we're doing a outreach marketing for, uh, for a, a consumer product, we actually build an avatar um, so, um, you know, we'll have, uh, Bill Smith and he is our avatar. And let's say we've got an industrial product. Um, what does Bill care about? And that's kind of the next, next step. Number okay. two is what does that person care about? So, you know, go back to the mining company, which is a really difficult example, but, you know, each of those stakeholder groups care about something different. So you have to de determine what do they care about. Um, and then the story itself should have one big idea. Um, so what is that one big thing? Um, so if you're talking about, you know, the, the facility, you're talking about job creation. Um, okay. If you're talking to a group of investors, you're talking about long-term share price appreciation. And they're different big ideas. At the core, they're all about the success of the company. So, okay. um, you know, and, and not to get off track too much, but if you look at like a company like Tesla, they have just as many, I mean, they have all the, you know, they're publicly traded company. Um, they have, um, you know, manufacturing facilities in multiple states. They have a partner that provides, you know, the batteries. Um, so there's a lot of different stakeholder groups that all need to be communicated to. And um, where if you've got a mom and pop hardware store, you're thinking, oh, you know, we don't have that many groups, but you really do because you have customers, you have suppliers, you have neighbors. If you have a business partner or a banker or you, you know, accumulated some debt to get your business going, great. But, you know, they're still a stakeholder. So you want to make sure to communicate to all those those groups. Well, and I was um, just thinking using that example when you're telling your story, there might be two different sides of the story. If you're looking at a mom and pop, say, hardware store, there are the DIYers that are, you know, not professionals, but they need to fix their sink or their door or they want to try to redo their bathroom or paint. And then you've got the contractors who may be coming in because you want that business as well to buy things, to do things. And how do you bring perhaps those two communities together of your, your client, your stakeholders as well? Or you don't have to bring them together so much as acknowledge their existence. Okay. So if, um, um, you know, you look at, so, I mean, let's just use that example. So you can't have a bunch of employees at your hardware store that can't empathize with the do-it-yourselfer. So, you know, if they're former contractors or a, a construction person and they can communicate to that, that contractor, well, that's great. But you also have to have um, somebody that can talk to do-it-yourselfers. And, um, you know, we have like one little hardware store left and it's, it's awesome. And they still, <laughs> you can buy like a washer or a I nut love or that. A you walk in and, and you go, I need, I one, need of one of these. Yep. And he walks over to a drawer and he opens it up Pulls and half the time they give it to you or it's like, it's a nickel. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, the, um, so the, this particular one has this young woman that works there and um, she is absolutely phenomenal. She knows everything in their store, um, but she is able to talk to customers in a way that they feel safe and they're okay asking questions. And, and I've, I've kind of watched her just interact with people and I, I don't have any stake in this business or they're not a client or anything like that, but um, she just comes across as being empathetic and what a great way to build a customer relationship. And um, feel so, free to give them a shout out if you want. Yeah. It, it's the ACE hardware in downtown Reno. So in Midtown um, and um, I don't, I don't even know them. They, they've been kind of instrumental in redeveloping that Midtown area. I, I go there once a quarter probably for, you know, a bag full of little parts um, and, um, it's they're just, really good at story. It's they just they get it. They totally okay. get what they're doing. Um, so you've you've kind of got that one big idea. You're moving into point number four, where you've got to create now the story that resonates. And um, um, so you know that that little hardware store. Um, are you a community store? Are you for contractors? Um, you know, there's, there's, um, different ways to put yourself off. If, if, um, um, you want to be that, um, quick and good, get in and get out. Um, or do you want people hanging around, you know, do you want to offer free coffee? Do you, you know, it's, it's just, there's all these little things that like, what do you want to be known for? Um, so you start to put that story together. And then the last part is the part that people forget. And it's really as important as the first part. What do you want them to do? So what's your call to action? Um, is it strictly to get people to go to the website? Do you want them to come into the store? Do you want them to come call an 800 number? Um, you know, Google us or you have to tell people what you want them to do. And, you know, I don't know how many times I'm on the freeway and I see this engaging billboard for two seconds as I'm driving by. And it's got something that made me look at it a little bit longer. And I have no idea what it was an ad for. Um, <laughs> they forgot number five. They, you know, um, they just, they entertain me for a split second at 65 miles an hour. And I have, you know, I'm not going to get off the freeway and loop back around to go look at that billboard again. So they didn't tell me a story in that short a period of time. Or how many times do you see a billboard where you're driving by and the type is so small, you can't read it. Yeah, that blows my they, mind. They didn't test it. Even and an the, ad in a magazine or something, too. Yeah. You know, you can't find the website. Um, and so there's all these pieces, but you, when you get steps one through five going, it'll move the story in a direction now where it'll really help you to um, build some structure around it. And then you can kind of have fun as you meander through the different points. All right. So taking that, what pops into my head is some people that have been amazing at telling story, right? They, they started out as small things on, let's just use Shark Tank as an example, right? You, uh, most of the world has, at least most of my listeners have watched Shark Tank. I talk about Shark Tank in my book because I just think it's a brilliant model. So Bombas, the sock company, and there's, I mean, the list could go on. Scrub Daddy, the sponge. It was this story that got created that built. For Bombas, it was buy a sock, give a sock, but that wasn't the story, right? I think the story of Bombas, what became the most requested item in homeless shelters is socks. That's the start of the story. What is the most requested item in homeless shelters? Socks. And now... 
you know, it's, you know, Henry Kaiser back in whenever, you know, find a need and fill it. Um, and they, so how do we do something that's really cool for our community, but somebody's, we need help paying for it. Um, hey, what if we did this? Um, and it doesn't have and, to be completely altruistic or philanthropic because not every story is there, but it, it, that helps, right? I mean, I always give away a percentage of all of my, my revenue to different charities and things like that, but that's something I've always done, but I don't talk about it a lot, but how, you know, I don't want people to think that you have to give away one or, or whatever, but that's not what you're saying, right? The essence of the story is, and I'm a big person that I feel like if you get something you need to give, but how did, how, how do you take that from there? I mean, so, I mean, I think that they've done um, a great job of weaving this story in when the way that they tell the story in their commercials um, and also, have you ever seen one of their commercials? Yes. Um, so where, do you remember where you saw it? it? Yeah. Do you, do you remember where? Where I saw the commercial? Yeah. It, it was, well, since I DVR every show that I watch, um, I couldn't tell you. It's <clears throat> typically interspaced in some show okay, so that I'm watching. I've only seen them on CNBC. Because you watch CNBC. Okay. I watch CNBC. I don't. So, so I will tell you it's probably yeah. ABC, CBS, NBC, um, or cable network. But I thought that's an interesting place for to sell socks. So they've thought about, let's go through the steps now. Who's our audience? Well, not our whole audience, but let's take this one specific channel and create a commercial Um that resonates, right? Here's our big idea. The story resonates. So we're going to just talk about the fact that, hey, did you know that the number one requested item in uh, a homeless shelter was socks? So we created a company to do this. And for every pair that you buy, somebody gets a pair of socks at a homeless shelter. And the, the commercial that I saw most recently was a little bit different. The dialogue was similar, but they had like a pair of fancy socks that were the ones that, you know, we would buy. And then there was a pair of just black socks that are the ones um, that I guess go to the shelter, but it was, they were contrasting. And um, so I thought that was interesting that they were going after that business, you know, uh, viewer watcher, on CNBC and then also picking up, um, I listen to CNBC a lot on, on um, Sirius XM. So they're picking up those listeners too. Well, yeah. it makes sense, right? Who wears socks on a regular basis? Businessmen need socks. Business women probably wear stockings or although I don't know anymore, you know, it's been a long time since I've had to wear business suits and pantyhose and, and all that other stuff. But yeah, that's a prime audience. Although in the days of Zoom, where too frequently, we're seeing people like not put anything on from the waist down, which I don't get. I, I am always fully dressed when I'm doing a Zoom. <laughs> yeah. I, I, have, I have reverted to my days in LA of my Hollywood black attire for zoom calls. So I, I think I wore a jacket about a month ago. Okay, this is my show it. shirt. I wear yeah. every, every show. This is my show shirt. <laughs> um, I will be very upset when it falls apart <laughs> because it's the made. perfect color. You know, it reflects who I am, my beach vibe, the whole thing. It's part of my story, you know, plus uh, the necklace that my mom always wore that she had also given me one. It says, nobody does it better. Just reminds nice. me to be all of who I am. Okay. So the a little aside there. So the Bombas story for people that are, are listening, what I'm hearing Ira is really understanding your driver, which for Bombas was they noticed an issue. Number one, they wanted to make a better sock, right? Because they got tired of, but that seems to have fallen by the wayside, right? They kind of talk about the it's fact. It's a secondary that, thing, but yeah. 
they've also made a better sock and um, they get that point across. So it's like, wow, I get to get a better product and do something cool. This is, you know, this is a good thing. And they're, you know, they're exploding. And, and when you look at the companies that are successful or that get deals from Shark Tank, there's always a great story. Every Shark yeah. Tank that gets a good deal, there's an amazing story. And, you know, that's a great place to go and test the whole practice thing because some of them are very well rehearsed, but the emotions are not real. Right. So it's like, hey, I'm going to show you my new cough drop. Raise eyebrows, smile, tilt head. Like, <laughs> okay. And, you know, it's, it doesn't come across as sincere and authentic. Um, and the, the panel, you know, the core panelists, um, they, they really hone in on that. And, um, you know, there's, you know, there's, it's still Hollywood and there's still, there's still mm-hmm. a lot of stuff built into it. But, but when you see the, the companies that get, good deals and the um, investors get excited about it. Um, it's because they came in and they told a great story. But they also had the business piece to support their yeah, story. And that's part of the story. Okay. So that's okay. not, you know, they're not separate. So when, um, you know, when, when Mark says, you know, that's great, but... And that's you know, Mark Cuban, your, in Mark case you Cuban. haven't watched the show. Um, yeah, you know, my really good friend, Mark. Good to, I hope you're good, buddy. Um, and uh, um, he'll he'll respond now, right? Yeah, I hope Mark so. Cuban, come on. We want to hear from you. <laughs> so, um, you know, but what he says, you know, tell me about your unit costs and, um, you know, what you're capable of ramping up to. And you don't have the answer for that. You don't... It means... You know, basically what you're saying is I don't have the whole story here. So if you don't have the whole story and, and you know, there's parts of the story that are the hidden parts that we only, there are answers to questions. Um, the story should always trigger questions. Um, wow, that's really fascinating. You know, this this is an amazing, I didn't know this Um you know, I seen the, I drove by and I saw the sign for the hardware store, but I had no idea you guys had a whole downstairs that was full of little goodies and finds that I might need to come get. And, um, you know, it's every business has all these things, but you want that conversation um, because it's at the end of the day, the story is to trigger the engagement and, you know, Ultimately, you don't want a first-time or a second-time customer. You want a third-time customer. So if you've got a retail business, you want that customer coming back. Um, And that's where your growth comes from. And if you have a service business, you want them to stay your customer and you want them to refer other customers to you. Same thing with the retail. You want them to refer. Yeah, it's... It's a, and, and retail is, um, referral is a huge part of that, um, story that doesn't get really at the, the amount of attention that it should because, um, referral, you've already got a customer. So if they can tell your story and, um, now bolt on their endorsement, that story now is better than when it started. And that's when it gets legs. And, and you know, when we, we used to talk about, you know, especially a public company, you talk about moving the needle. Um, that's a huge thing. That's a phrase that we use internally all the time. Um, are you moving the needle on your business? Um, you know, it's great doing marketing and PR and investor relations and telling your story. But if you're not moving the needle, you're not, you're not growing your business. So you're sliding backwards and then what's all this for? You just made me think of something that I haven't been doing that I used to do. Oh my God. It's like, so mind blowing to me, Ira, because when I had my tech services company, right? Most of my business was referral. 
and customer after customer would refer customer after customer. And I remember we got a phone call from somebody who wanted to do business with us. And I was like, oh, how did you find us? And they launched into a story about what one of our other customers said about us. And I had never thought about my business the way it was being described to me. And I used to take those stories, which I didn't think of as stories, and then I'd refine the way I would talk to potential customers, the way my staff and I would talk about ourselves because we had expanded and grown from what my original way of thinking was about the business. Do you see that happen a lot in when you work with your clients, how they either stop growing their story or the ones that are successful are the ones that can see the progression? I don't know if that question was really clear because I was kind of formulating it as I was asking it. I feel like that's a key piece. And I, I if I'm wrong, just say, no, Laura, it's not. No, well, I mean, here's, here's where you're absolutely correct is once you start doing this kind of form of public relations, um, you, you have to continue it. Um, and for a couple, and I don't mean it just because, oh, you know, the agency, you need to keep paying them. But, you know, I don't care if you take it internally or you, you, you have to keep doing it. One of the things that small businesses do that is just catastrophic is they are so busy and they've gotten all this business and they stop marketing and they stop telling their story. And um, the story changes and they don't update the story. So a couple things that you pointed at that you have to do is the, the story itself is a living, breathing thing. It needs to be fed. It needs to be nurtured and watered. And, um, and I, I love companies that it's appropriate to do or I can pull it off can't ship a plant sometimes, but um, I love to give them a plant and say, okay, this goes on your desk and you keep it alive because I'm giving you this living thing. And this represents your business story. And um, when you're very successful and you're bursting at the seams, keep telling the story and keep listening to the feedback and see how the story moves and changes and um, there will be good times and bad times and, um, you know, it's all these normal things. But if you just stop, then the perception is where you stop talking. Cool. So, you know, if, if you're um, Tesla and you stop telling your story at the Roadster, People may not know that you've got these cars that are bigger and they're safer and they're four doors and there's room for a child seat in the back and there's and the range you know, is all longer. This, yeah, I mean all these improvements, but because you stopped telling your story during the hot rod when it was a young woman, young man's car, you know, they wouldn't know. So, you know, again, I'm and I'm giving examples that are all kind of drastic, but the subtleties are where your business growth is. So if you, um, um, you know, you had a food truck and you were known for these amazing little gourmet lunches in a little cardboard box that people could get, and then you opened a restaurant, but you really didn't do any more talking, you need to understand what people out there are saying about you because if and that's where like some of the social media sites have helped because people will talk and if you don't monitor that right so if you're mm-hmm. not monitoring your Yelp um, you're not knowing what people are saying about you and um, it's imperative that you monitor all those things I love going to a Yelp to go look at something um, thinking about going to a place or I'm going to buy something or use somebody new and they've responded to every single post. Right. Hey, thanks for that. 
you know what? I'm really disappointed that we fell short of your expectations. Here's my email. Please email me and let's figure out a plan so we can make this up to you. Now, acknowledge, acknowledge whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And, okay. you know, good or bad. And, but that business now has a very solid understanding of what's being said about them. And it's part of the whole listening mode. So there, there's all these pieces that are part of your ongoing marketing um, that are all kind of attached to the story itself. I had an episode, I had a couple of episodes with Janet Shines, Ashlyn Silva, and uh, Heather Margulis, where we talked about like this whole social selling, monitoring right. your social behavior and what people are actually saying about you. And that just feeds so beautifully with what we've been talking about today, Ira. And I probably need to have you back on to talk more because we could talk more and more and more. Um, before I have you share how people can get in touch with you and also get that PDF that you were talking about, I promised everybody the Gene Hackman story. Okay. I, I love the Gene Hackman story and you in the seat with the camera and, and, and then please tell this story because I, okay, so I think it's a great story about story. It, it, it really, well, so, you know, back Back when I worked for the Associated Press, um, I covered, I, I, I actually got into photography through motorsports and um, sports car racing in particular. And those of you that know a little bit about racing, it'd be like SCCA racing. And um, I uh, grew up in the Bay Area near San Francisco. So Sears Point Raceway was my home track and Laguna Seca. And uh, started uh, the very first Long Beach Grand Prix, um, went down there. Well, it was the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach was the official name. And Toyota had the celebrity race as a ancillary race. And, and so um, now you have to understand this was before GoPro and digital. So, you know, I'm trying to mount a Nikon motorized camera into a Toyota Celica to photograph Gene Hackman and I can't get the camera to set right. And I've got, I'm rigging it and I've got brackets and safety. I can't get it to work. And it's not so, a typical Toyota Celica. It's yeah. a road race tricked out. Hold that. No, there's no seat on the driver's side. So we basically get, I think I had like somebody's sleeping bag out of the back of their truck and a pillow or something. And now I am sitting backwards on the floor of this car in the passenger with no side. seat belt on the passenger side facing the driver which is gene hackman and he's got an open face helmet so you can see who he is and um um gene has now decided that it is going to be up to him to completely turn me upside down and he is going through turns and i am biting gritting my teeth trying to shoot pictures and, and uh, um, the, the picture somewhere in archives somewhere is, you know, he's crossed up with the steering wheel like this and we're sliding through this turn and I'm trying to stay put and I'm finger, you know, and of course a roll of film only had 36 frames. This was struggle people. This was real, like I only had 36 frames to get the right picture. And it's not like where a digital card now holds 250 frames and we are sliding. And I, you know, it was this whole thing and he just was having the best time trying to get me to flip upside down in the car. And it was, um, you just worked, worked out trying to make it happen. But and then you said you saw him years later or something. And he's like, you look familiar. And, and what did he say to you? So he, 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 he just, he looked at me and um, I said, you know, that I had photographed him at the Long Beach Grand Prix and I can't remember exactly what he said. And it was like, Oh yeah, I remember that kid. He goes, yeah, that was fun. And, um, and he was trying to make you pass out. Like it was, <laughs> he was, he was honestly trying to get me to pass out just pulling enough G's sliding around on the, on the deck of this car. Um, and I photographed, you know, um, Jay Leno. And uh, I mean, there was really a period of time where the 
all the celebrities, the A-listers really wanted to drive these cars in the, the Grand Prix and it kind of waned a little bit and, and now Toyota's no longer a sponsor and things change. There wasn't even a race this year because of COVID. So, um, and it's, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty memorable, um, fun thing. Um, motorsports was, was a blast and I, um, I, I miss that, but every once in a while I get my camera out and go shoot pictures or something. The reason I wanted you to tell that story, Ira, is because I think it, exemplifies who you are as a storyteller, right? You might not have realized it at the time, but your story while you were in the car in that moment with Gene Hackman, maybe you know this, but this is what I saw as your story. Your story while you're in that car on the floor, knowing you have to get this shot, you're being paid to get this shot, was I'm the guy that's going to get this shot no matter what. I have to ignore all this other stuff this is who I am. I'm going to get this shot. And years later, Gene Hackman sees you and he remembers the story of tenacity of this person that he's trying to shake up, but couldn't. And then he, he remembered this. Now he's had his photo taken how many thousands and millions of times, Yeah. but he remembered you. And isn't that, what you're trying to teach people what at you're the end to of the day is, that's exactly it's how do i make myself memorable or my business yeah. memorable and and that's what the storytelling is all about and and it was being authentically you because that's who you are and who you were as the photographer so that story came through because it is who you are who you were who you will be always is this person who will get that shot, will tell that story, will make that person look the best they can because you unlock who they really are. In that moment with that photo of Gene Hackman, right, with his arms crossed, as you said it, going around the curve, you got the story of this guy that wanted you to black out. <laughs> yeah. But this and guy who was having total joy behind the driver's wheel, right? And that's, to me, who you are and how people can tell their stories. So thank you. That's yeah. why I want you to tell Gene Hackman's story. It's, I, you know, and there's, I, I, I loved living in LA. I was, um, um, it's changed. This was all before paparazzis and we, you know, we got time with celebs and, and they, they gave us a couple minutes and, and uh, um, you worked really hard to make a fun picture that, you know, showed them off a little bit too. And um, it, it's changed and um, it's different and it's, it's not better or worse. It's just different. So, but it did give me that bite of the apple of um, telling stories and, and um, um, you know, it was any, anytime I could be around a racetrack, it was always a good day. Cool. Because telling a story shouldn't just be about the person telling the story, as you said, it needs to be to move the stakeholders and let them see the value to them as well. If you just tell a story and it's all about you, then I'm going to, then what I've seen is that the brand doesn't survive. The business doesn't survive. Yeah, it's, it's, and I mean, I think that's a really important part. I don't, we didn't really touch on that, but um, it's, um, it's not a me, me, me story. It's if you're telling the story of your business, you have to craft it from the business's voice. Um, the business has a voice and you have to develop that. And it should be the business talking so that, um, uh, it's not about the teller. It's about the really the business talking to the recipient of the story. Cool. All right. So I'm going to have to have you back on because we have so much more to talk about, about brands and stories. Anytime. <laughs> Ira, how do people find out about you? How do they get more information um, if they have questions? Um, yeah. So iragostin.com. It's I-R-A-G-O-S as in Sam. T-I-N as a Nancy.com is their website and you can email me from there. 
And um, I will post um, on the Facebook page um, the little worksheet um, about how to start telling your story. And um, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and um, Twitter, and you can find me. Okay, and it's Ira Gostin, I-R-A-G-O-S-T-I-N, iragostin.com. And, and Ira, I had so much fun with you today. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great. So um, I'm sorry that you, you and I are the only ones that are doing this live, but everybody else, you'll forget that it was taped. Well, what I'm going to do is normally I wait to post the video till I have my front and back done by the amazing Joshua Batibar, uh, um, who who does my video graphic stuff. I'm going to post this up into the Facebook group so people can see it right away. And then I'll repost it with the front and and back saying it's all about the questions, just so people can see this because I had promised everybody out there. And then the audio goes to podcast as always. Every every week I do the show, it goes up to all the major podcasts platforms. And because Ira, you said to me, to my listeners, that it's very important to do that last part, which is, what do you want them to do? (laughs) There's two things I want people to do. Number one, I want you to comment. I want you to share what nuggets you've gotten from my time here with Ira, because sharing a thought makes it more real than if you just let it sit in your head and do nothing with it. And then wherever you're listening to this, if it's on YouTube with the video, if it's on um, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, wherever you may be listening to subscribe, rate and review and share these posts to get more people listening to it. So that's my my um, call to action. How was how that, Ira? Perfect. <laughs> okay. Please do that though, yes, because... You know, it's important that uh, all the shows that you like get a little love and get people to join and and Laura's show is amazing. And you're never going to find another show that has the diversity of guests as Laura does. So it's cool stuff. Well, thank you, Ira. That, mean, that means so much coming from you. And we're going to set up another day to chat. Let me close up the show today. Everybody, I hope you've learned one new thing or had a new perspective. There were several times on the show today, I had goosebumps. I don't know if you could see them. This is my love of my week. No matter how bad I'm feeling when I do my show, I uplift because I get to be with these amazing people like Ira week to week. And you as my listeners, I love to hear from you. Please let me know what you think of the shows, share it, subscribe, and most of all, take action. Do something to tell your story to the world because I know you all have amazing stories out there. And remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.